Hello and welcome to the 2019 F1 Strategy Report, powered by Apex Race Manager, the mobile race management simulator. My name's Michael Aminato and this is Round 18, the Mexican Grand Prix. This should have been a Red Bull racing track. Then, when Max Verstappen was thrown off pole position, it should have been a Ferrari track. But it was Mercedes and Lewis Hamilton who topped the podium with a perfectly judged strategy for the unique demands of the Mexico City track, putting the championship within reach. To analyse an intriguing Mexican Grand Prix, I'm joined by Channel 4 F1 commentator Ben Edwards. Ben, how are you doing? I'm fine, thanks, Michael. Good to be with you. It's always a weird Grand Prix a little bit, Mexico. Quite aside from the interesting, I guess, championship holding pattern we're in for another week until we can almost certainly say that Lewis Hamilton's won the title. But it's such an outlier of a race. And I always do feel a little bit self-conscious saying this because I feel like almost every second race we have to say that it's not representative in some respect. But with the Mexican Grand Prix, with the altitude there, with the way the circuit's configured, this really is quite a unique challenge for the Formula One calendar, isn't it? It is. It's fascinating. I mean, you know, the fact that they can load up the cars with downforce that they would be running at Monaco. And you see these big wings, you know, you can really see the on the cars, all the bits they've added onto them. And, and then they stick them out on a track with these long straights. Mm-hmm. And it just feels weird that, that that with this low atmospheric pressure that that works, you know, and they're still not generating this kind of level of downforce that they do with the little skimpy wings <laughs> they use at Monza. Um, it, it, it is remarkable. And it is, as you say, it's a real challenge. And you look at a team like Haas, you know, they just never get it right, do they? Every time we go to Mexico, they, they, they just don't get it right. So it just shows you it's not an easy challenge at all. It's not something you can just think, oh, you know, Mexico will just, you know, will just do the normal stuff. No, you've got to really rethink it. And I think the top teams are getting cleverer and cleverer at that. It's really quite refreshing to arrive at a race, even if it is heavily dependent on the circumstances of the location, uh, and find that the teams aren't really completely on top of it. Really, the, yeah. the complete opposite of, for example, the Spanish Grand Prix, where there's so much information from not only the history there, but pre-season testing that you can almost predict what's going to happen before you even arrive. Here, it still feels like the teams don't really grapple completely well with these conditions and I mean Haas is a great example but so too I suppose is Mercedes despite winning this race it's been a track that and despite them being so dominant the last couple of years have have ordinarily really quite struggled with and I mean if you know Mercedes perhaps the cleverest of the teams at the moment can't always get it together here it really does underline that point it does absolutely and 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 it lends itself to certain advantages disadvantages I mean for example didn't really show up so much this year but that the Renault advantage has shown up in other years mm-hmm. they have a slightly different size turbo which which works very effectively at altitude um, so we've seen that work for Red Bull when they were Renault powered it didn't seem to I mean in qualifying McLaren were very strong um, I'm not sure it had quite the same strong effect this year maybe that's because the other engine power unit manufacturers have kind of worked out what they need to do to to allow for that a bit more uh, rather than just it being a natural thing for Renault so yeah there's all these little intricate things that that do change the balance a little bit of, of com- competitiveness I think throughout the field Now, aside from the mere fact that the air is around 25% thinner there for anyone who was particularly interested in that statistic and the fact that that means the downforce is generated in smaller quantities, as we sort of talked about, the larger wings, but with a smaller effect, the material effect that has on a car's performance uh, comes in two major ways, I suppose, in terms of cooling and uh, particularly for the brakes, which you can't throttle back in the same ways you can an engine, but 
Also, tyres, and this is always a talking point in Mexico. I feel like it's almost as if everyone forgets that the same thing happened the previous year. I can remember very yeah. distinctly this happening last year, where we get to the end of practice after everyone's had a go at, uh, at setting up the car for this track, and everyone thinks the tyres just absolutely will not last the race distance. I know, and I was intrigued this year because that we were actually a step harder on the tyre mm. compound from last year. Pirelli... Are aware last year was the year we was the last year we were still using tires called hypersoft <laughs> yes. supersoft etc um, and the hypersoft tire was in use in mexico and it really did give up quite quickly and, and they went a step harder this year with their choice and if anything the tires are slightly firmer anyway this year so i i wasn't expecting the same issue in the same way but we got it um, as soon as they did their long runs on friday on the soft tire it was clear that they you know they were graining very quickly they weren't going to last particularly long and then we saw strategy wise the top teams you know avoiding that tire in the second part of qualifying because they didn't want to start the race on that tire and the teams that ended up starting on that tire were only mclaren and toro rosso and they both suffered as a result so absolutely right and i it surprised me though i have to say even though it's the same as last year i thought that going harder on the tires would solve that it didn't and we were back in the same boat i suppose that does explain uh one curiosity I suppose I noticed from from practice, in fact, from even earlier than practice when the team tyre choices were released in that still very few teams really, we say drivers, but the teams really get the say on terms of tyre selection, brought very many of the, the firmer compounds, the more durable compounds to the point where only a certain number of drivers, less than half of the field, I think it was, did any meaningful running on the hard tyre. Now, of course, uh, to say this in retrospect is very easy, but the hard tyre ended up being pretty fundamental to a good race. Mercedes, of course, was one of those teams that managed to do some hard tyre running. Are you surprised we seem to see this every race, regardless of Mexico, that no one seems to give the hard tyre very much care? And then we get to the race and all of a sudden it's actually quite important and no one knows how it's going to work. Yeah, it's a good point. I think, of course, everybody tends to focus on qualifying uh, because track position is so important. But there's no doubt that in a long race like that, you know, the difference between making a one-stop and a two-stop can be vital, as we saw at the weekend. You know, it was crucial, that that difference. So the knowledge of the tyres is important. Quite often, um, I think on a track where they understand the track well, they can get away with just having the one set of hard tyres, know they'll go to it, they know roughly what it'll do. But you're right, I think, in Mexico that because of all these slightly different aspects that we've talked about, that actually getting out on it and getting a bit of experience on it is valuable. I think the teams, it it was tricky anyway for the teams with the weather this weekend. You know, the track kept getting washed down overnight um, and that changes everything. When you get that rubber down on a Friday morning and it builds on the Saturday morning, then you get into qualifying and then you're into the race with a lot of rubber down. That makes a massive difference to how the tyres react. They're much more predictable. I think the fact that we had rain overnight each time meant that the, the teams were back to square one. And for us, that made it more exciting because they they really didn't genuinely know what the right strategy was. Another good point to add to the campaign to remove some more practice from Formula One. Surely yeah. we don't need all four hours to get an exciting race. It's a shame it wasn't rained out properly on Friday, I suppose. In some ways, yeah. I mean, we are getting better races when they do less practice. There is absolutely no doubt about that because the the lack of data they have to go on means they have to, you know, 
freelance a bit when it comes to the race and, and it definitely makes life more interesting looking to qualifying uh, as you mentioned the the top six cars uh, all managed to qualify on the medium tire the three front running teams not completely unusual in the last couple of years of formula one to be honest uh interesting that this weekend though and it's worth pointing out in this context that there's been talk about the rule by which the tire used to qualify for q2 is the tire you start your race on has been talked about being eliminated. And this was a great race, I suppose, to to explain how that has become possibly a bit redundant, I suppose, given the way the field spread out over the last couple of years. Only four cars had to start on that soft tyre, extremely delicate at this race, even if it is a bit of an unusual race in that regard. Uh, and they suffered a lot for it during the race. Yeah, yeah. And I feel sorry for those teams. And I, I do think, you know, we've seen that on a couple of occasions where if you're a midfield team and you're forced to start on the tyre that's got you into the top 10, which is a big achievement, but then it costs you in the race. It, it feels unfair, you know, um, for both Toro Rosso and McLaren. It was it was a tough race. Um, all went wrong for McLaren. Toro Rosso got something out of it. But ultimately, they were beaten by the racing points and Renaults that, that started behind them. So, you know, I... I do feel that it's not working in that respect. And actually, it probably is a sensible rule to change. I suppose really that does speak to the, the two-tier formula for want of a better way to explain it, really. I guess it was a, it's a well-meaning rule originally, but it really does feel like it's outlived its usefulness. Yeah, it does. Yeah, I think you're right. I think originally it was probably a good idea, but I'm not sure it's, it's effective right now. The top teams do their own thing and um, the, the midfield teams end up losing out as a result. Now, quite aside from the front runners opting for that medium tyre, qualifying was notable as well for uh, a minor point of controversy, I suppose. Max Verstappen, really rapid in qualifying. Red Bull Racing was quick this time last year as well. That speaks, I suppose, to the strength of that chassis, being able to inherently generate so much downforce and advantage when downforce is so hard to come by. Uh, wasn't allowed to start from pole, was demoted three grid places for ignoring yellow flags. But, I mean, hidden around that controversy, there was this really interesting picture starting to form about the, the balance of power among those top three teams. And this was the first moment we started to get a hint that maybe Ferrari really could win this race, but Mercedes perhaps not as down and out as they looked in previous races. No, that's true. I mean, they, they put together some good pace. Um, and it, it certainly looks as though the balance at the moment, you know, Ferrari have definitely got the edge at most tracks in qualifying. Um, Red Bull, Honda... We know that they're very strong in the races, but clearly Mexico has always worked felt well for them. So they were, you know, setting the pace, as you say, with Max. Uh, but Mercedes were closer. And I think what's very interesting in a way is the fact that, you know, we'll come into how they how they won the race. But the fact that they have won the last three races, mm-hmm. Mercedes, despite the fact that Ferrari have generally been qualifying fast it just shows that that is a very strong race car absolutely and it was hard not to draw parallels once the final grid was settled with russia i think in fact the run between the the front of the grid here in the first corner is uh, just about exactly the same as it is in russia it's a long way isn't it yeah yeah it's a fair old way especially when you've got two teammates <laughs> when you walk the track it takes forever getting down to that first corner i tell you <laughs> especially when the air is thinner and suddenly you feel much more out yeah. of breath than you might otherwise ordinarily do uh, shades of the idea that Ferrari might try to manage the first lap between its drivers didn't happen. Charles Leclerc managed to keep first position from Sebastian Vettel, but we already, I mean, if Max Verstappen was already knocked down a little bit for that grid penalty, was effectively eliminated from this point in the race with a little bit of a tangle with Lewis Hamilton. Mm. Hamilton picked up damage here, 
And at this point, if we want to talk about you know the race overall and, and being difficult to predict, it would have been very difficult to predict that Hamilton with a damaged floor dropping mm. to fourth would have been in a position to win from this point. Absolutely. I mean, I wasn't expecting that at all. Um, and, you know, there, there was a whole combination of things going on there. The fact that Vettel squeezed Hamilton a bit naughtily, I felt, <laughs> um, down the... Down the main straight, got away with it. But Lewis actually had to lift. And of course, that's what gave Verstappen the run on him. Uh, but Lewis was obviously fired up at that point. So he stayed with it. It was good stuff. I, I really enjoy what really intrigues me is um, the way that Lewis is, is kind of relishing the battle mm. with Max. You know, he's happy to go wheel to wheel with him. He's not scared of him at all. Uh, and I really enjoy, I'm really enjoying that this year. But as you say, by the end of all that, you know, it didn't look like Lewis was, was a potential race winner. So... The fact that he then ended up to win the race, it's pretty astonishing, to be honest. And to contrast that, I mean, if Lewis didn't look like he was in a winning position, Ferrari certainly looked like it did. It held a pretty comfortable 1-2 lead at that point, and because there was tangling going on behind them, they even managed to build a little bit of a gap to the rest of the field. We had a momentary virtual safety car, and then this opening little phase where they were all sounding each other out, I suppose. No one really sprinting off into the distance. Mm. And Red Bull Racing was the first to make a move. It was Alex Elbon who stopped first uh, on lap 14, a little way down the order, albeit in a car that perhaps was considered to be the fastest at that point given qualifying. But then Charles Leclerc, the leader, was the first driver to respond. And not only did he respond in a, a two-pit stop window, considering it was so early, but he went straight to the medium tyre. Was that surprising to see the leader not only stop so early, but commit so obviously to, to one particular strategy? Yeah, because he had to make a second stop after that. So, yeah, I was a little bit surprised. And Charles said afterwards, you know, we had to respond to Alex. Well, actually, Alex was third at that point. Vettel was second. Um there was enough of a gap in hand. It wasn't huge. It was just over three seconds between first and third before the pit stop. Um, and you, well, I mean, with hindsight, these things are easy, aren't they? You know, with hindsight, you would say he could have, he could probably have gone to a set of hards if he'd wanted to respond straight away. And ideally, probably wouldn't have responded straight away. But I guess. Ferrari was splitting strategy at that point because nobody knew what was going to be the correct strategy. And once they'd seen Albon going hard on a two-stop. And, and most people, to be honest, did think it was going to be a two-stop race. I mean, talking to people in the pallet beforehand, um, you know, the one-stop was was pretty marginal. I was talking to some people and they were saying, well, you know, to do one-stop, you're really going to have to control the pace and, and manage the pace all the way through. So two-stops is probably more likely. Um, and yet, when it panned out, you know, uh, Albon did it. He was going to on two stops. Leclerc responded. And ultimately, of course, those two completely missed out. So they were running first and third in that early stage of the race. Neither of them ended up with a podium. It ended up becoming really like a parallel race because then up ahead where suddenly it felt like you had drivers that were at least investigating the idea of a one-stop, if not just to do something a little bit different. Uh, We had Mercedes actually, I suppose, thinking about in a way that no one else seemed to be. And there were a couple of key points of information they highlighted here. There was Max Verstappen, who had to stop on lap five due to a puncture switch to the hards. Daniel Ricciardo, the only driver on the field, who we'll talk about a little bit later, also started on the hard tyre. Both drivers were holding up very well. And Mercedes seemed to be the only team to notice that and implement that in their own strategy. Exactly. And maybe, as you say, you know, the fact that they'd had a decent run on the hard tyre on Friday with Bottas as well gave them that little bit of extra confidence seeing what uh, Ricardo was doing. But... Yeah, that was very intriguing that they, they were studying the data. And, and to be fair, as James Val said afterwards, their, their chief strategy guy, 
if they'd run a, a, a fairly conventional strategy, a fairly reserved strategy, they wouldn't have won that race. Um, whereas Ferrari, when you're in the front, when you've got track position, you're more likely to run a slightly more conservative strategy in order to stay there and you feel, well, we're in a good place. So Mercedes could take a bit more of a risk. And I think that's that's what they did on, on looking at what was going on around them, particularly with Daniel. They thought, well, you know, here's a chance. It's a bit of a gamble. But if we get this right, we might actually win the race rather than finish with a podium. Um, let's go for it. And I think... They were in that position to be able to do that, whereas Ferrari, of course, were more protecting their position. It's such a fascinating dichotomy, and you're absolutely right, because when you're leading the race, obviously you can only lose. There's nothing to gain. You can't move any more forward than P1. But if you look at the season overall, I suppose, Ferrari has nothing to lose in the sense that the championship is well done and dusted at this point. They're really only racing for pride. It's sort of interesting that Mercedes has found itself... I suppose a way to feel like it, it can it can take more risks to feel like it's kind of the underdog, whereas Ferrari, despite having no upper hand for most of this season, has already painted itself into a bit of a conservative corner. Yeah, definitely, and you know they've they've thrown away a few opportunities, haven't they? And and you've got to feel that they're still not consistently delivering on the strategy side of things and on the smartness, if you like, of <laughs> of really being right there when it counts and we know Red Bull are very good at that when they've got a car in position um it didn't work out for them yesterday because of other incidents as much as anything um Mercedes to be honest Mercedes don't always I haven't always got it right yes they are the six times you know champions in a row they've had a strong car advantage and their strategy has been good but they've They've made mistakes over the years and sometimes they've been rescued by the fact that they've got the fastest car. Um, Ferrari, yeah, a little bit on and off sometimes. Sometimes they get it right, but recently we have seen a few errors from them. That's something, that's an area that they can still, I think, improve on. The point of this race, I suppose there's a specific window here where the Grand Prix really played out. We weren't to know that it was such a specific window by the end of the race, but we were still on the edge of our seats, but... It played out here between lap 23 and 37. Lewis Hamilton's pit stop and Sebastian Vettel's pit stop. They ended up being their only stops. Hamilton moved straight to that hard set of tyres. Mercedes gambling on the idea that on other cars it seemed to be working quite well and perhaps as well because they'd seen in practice they knew what their estimated life would be and could extrapolate from there. Hamilton wasn't completely happy as we have admittedly heard him uh, in previous races complaining that he felt the strategy would be suboptimal. Vettel on the other hand seemed to be loving the opportunity to extend. In fact he was doing such a good job with those medium tyres he got just past half distance on them and at that point everything seemed very happy at Ferrari that they'd have this great tyre offset. But they admitted it afterwards, didn't they? They'd made a a real serious miscalculation on the idea that the hard tyre would fall off a cliff, which ultimately didn't happen. Yeah, it didn't happen, no. The only only car that it didn't seem to work on was Carlos Sainz's Mm -hmm. uh, McLaren. For some reason, his set of hard tyres on that car didn't work at all. But but in general, the hard tyre was pretty consistent and Lewis managed the situation brilliantly. So, yeah, he was questioning on the radio, can we really go this far on this set of tyres? But once he was you know, applying himself. That's it's an, a level that he's very good at. It's something that Max Verstappen is very good at. I think if he'd been up there on a similar strategy, that could have been very interesting as well. Um, but as you say, it, it, Sebastian Vettel in a way had quite a, a say in that choice. You could hear him discuss with the team on the radio, were they going to respond when Hamilton came in? They made the decision jointly, clearly, that no, we weren't, you know, 
And Ferrari said afterwards that Lewis's outlap was that rapid that they thought that if they'd responded straight away, they still would have come out behind it. So, so it made sense for them to stay out there and to hope that giving Vettel a fresh set of tyres that much later in the race would enable him to, to close the gap. But when we got to it, and I was... I was expecting it, you know, commentating the race. Are you thinking Hamilton's going to be in trouble here as we get into the last 10 laps? But then he just started putting, you know, faster times together. The way he, he judges it is very clever. Um, you know, he knows when to back off, when to ease up and then when to go for it and still have life left in those tyres. And we've seen this on a number of occasions, but I think this particular race was, was one where you, you saw it more clearly in a way, how he can manage that tyre situation. So he has those skills. He has the skills to go wheel to wheel with a vibrant Max Verstappen at the start of the race, but he also has the skill to judge the the pace over a long distance and keep those tyres absolutely where they need to be. You mentioned that over the course of several years now, the Mercedes has essentially controlled the sport. On the occasions they haven't nailed the strategy, they've normally been able to rely on an inherent car pace to to get them out of trouble Mm. on the few occasions they find themselves in it. I guess this is really a situation where you can also say that they've been able to rely on their drivers, in particular Lewis Hamilton. And we heard, even though it did require some coaching, uh, and I suppose that goes a little of the way to answering people who wonder whether it's all a bit of mind games for Lewis to say that stuff over the road to throw other drivers off their game, uh, including from James Vowell. There was some coaching from him as well. And you know it's serious when James comes on the radio. Yeah. Uh, but it does come down, as you said, really to Lewis being able to to, to execute the, the weirdest strategies that the team might throw at him. Yeah, and he is one of those people who can do that. You know, Michael Schumacher was the same, wasn't he? You know, the, the team would say, right, well, we need to do this now. And those are the sort of drivers who can respond. Uh, they can change their driving style if they need to in the middle of a race, which uh, is brilliant. It's incredible that they can do that. But they have that ability to do that and to do whatever it takes to get the best out of the car and there's no doubt that Hamilton has that skill there's there's also no doubt I think that the Mercedes car in race trim is a is a very strong car still so although they've lost a bit of this single lap pace and the ability to turn the engine up which Ferrari are clearly using extremely well the Mercedes is still a good race car. You know, we saw it in Japan as well with Valtteri Bottas. Um, very solid performance from him. And once they get into position up front, if they're not behind a Ferrari, then they can control things quite effectively. When they're behind a Ferrari, they're struggling because the Ferrari's so quick in a straight line. And as we saw with Bottas trying to pass Vettel, it never really was anywhere close. Uh, but, the, but the Mercedes is a strong race car. And when you've got a driver like Hamilton doing the managing, you're in a very strong position. So by the time Vettel made his stop on lap 37, perhaps still unbeknownst to Ferrari, to become a race of track position rather than just strategy because Hamilton wasn't going to make that second stop. Mm. He'd snatched track position with that undercut that Ferrari chose not to respond to. Although, as you said, even if they had responded to, they may already have lost it. Uh, and the end, they simply ran out of time to to use that tire to make any inroads on Hamilton. What I particularly like when you could kind of, you could almost tell when Mercedes and Lewis, I suppose, knew that they kind of had it under control. That there were some tactical laps. I like to think that they were executed by Hamilton right at the very end, a couple of personal bests, as if just to break the spirit of Sebastian Vettel. Just after he'd gotten through traffic, uh, Bottas was still bearing down on him, 
and it was just enough to confirm that this was a race lost for Ferrari. It's still, I suppose, and Ferrari sort of pointed out afterwards, a positive result in a sense, isn't it, that this team has rebounded over the course of the season to still finish second. It's not as if it is the end of the world, still finished ahead of Valtteri Bottas and come out with a car that by the end of the race you feel like should have won, even if they don't get the points. Yeah, um, I think that to a certain extent that's true. Um, I think the Ferrari is, you know, it's a, it's a good car. We know that it's a strong team, but I think there is also a disappointment. You know, you end up with two cars on the front row uh, for a race. You're leading one and two in the early stages and you end up, um, you know, with one car on the podium and the other one uh, finishing but off, off the podium. And I think that that is still a bit disappointing for them. Um, but it's a hard battle up at the top end. And and it was surprising. I mean, you know, when Charles Leclerc made that second stop late in the race, um, you know, and he had about 30 laps to do, less than 30 laps to do on a fresh set of tyres. And you thought, wow, he's going to go for it. And there was an element, there just a, a little period where he was suddenly quite close to, to Bottas. They were getting into some traffic. But then again, just couldn't make it happen. And, and I'm sure that's partly the nature of the Mexican circuit too. As we know, the following is such a difficult thing. The brake temperatures by then were all climbing very, very high. Um, but it, it's that surprise element that Mexico City always delivers that, that just added in a bit for Ferrari that perhaps they didn't adjust to enough. Looking at that second stop of Leclerc, because the top three had more or less been decided uh, once they got through that lap traffic in the final 10 or so laps, there was a lockup for Leclerc as well that sort of put paid to his momentum at that point in time. Yeah. But surely for him... There must be some degree of wondering what could have been given that slow second stop he had. It was 6.2 seconds, I think it was, mm. which is, let's say, around four seconds slower than an ordinary pit stop. And he finished only 6.3 seconds behind Lewis Hamilton. So as much as the strategy kind of rode him off a little bit in what turned out to be a one-stop race... Had all things been more equal, let's say, this really could have swung a little bit more towards him towards the end. Exactly. So, you know, there were some chances there. And, and it, you know, adding that bit of time to your pit stop, then you're dealing with more traffic. That's more wear on the tyres. It's more brake overheating. Um, and it just becomes that much harder. So, yeah, I, you know, it could have come out a different way in all sorts of ways, that race, actually. I think... It was a very fine balance throughout. And although you look back and you think, oh, well, the positions didn't change, you know, from halfway onwards, virtually uh, just over halfway. That was that was the, the race set. But it wasn't like that in reality for the teams. You could see when you were looking at the guys on the pit wall, there was a lot of anxiety. There was a lot of tension there. Um, things could have easily been very different. And it would have been fun if, for example, if Leclerc's pit stop had gone really well and the tyres, that brand new set had just really clicked in with him and the car. Imagine, you know, he could have fought his way through and suddenly been leading on the last lap. It could have been amazing. It just didn't work out that way. It's, uh, it's so many what-ifs in races like this. It, it is what makes them exciting. Yeah. Uh, another what-if, we've already touched on him, but just to, to wrap up his strategy, Max Verstappen did eventually finish six, which is more impressive than I think it sounds. We're normally used to the front runners, you know, if they, they do have a poor first lap drop down the field to finishing at least sixth. But he was so far off the pace after that first pit stop, 30 seconds or something like that off the back of the field, and didn't make another stop mm. off that hard compound tyre. If you want to talk about the tyre lasting much longer than anyone thought that it could, uh, he was a prime example. Yeah, that really surprised me. I kept thinking... Okay, and I talked about it in commentary. Well, Verstappen's going to still have to stop, and he's still oh, <laughs> you know. Um, so that was yeah. He but then he is also, I think, very skilled, at, 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 and the Red Bull car is also less aggressive on the tyres. So I guess the fact that 
even the Renault, you know, from Ricardo, who showed everybody early on that this, this hard tire was gonna was gonna hold on. Um, once you've got Max in a Red Bull, you always know you're gonna get probably another five, ten laps out of it. Um, so I, I guess that was always a possibility. But I have to say, it did surprise me that he stayed on that tire, and um, and, and it worked pretty effectively. I think. In some ways, we missed out on what I could have been this weekend because, you know, Max having that incident. In some ways, it was quite fun that he started fourth. If he if he'd led from the start, it might have been a straightforward win for him. Um, but it was it was the incident with Lewis, the incident then with Bottas that gave him the puncture that really dropped him out. And it's disappointing because I think he could have been a player, a little bit like Japan. You know, the incident with Leclerc put him out. So last couple of races. Could have been Max Verstappen starring. It's just not worked out that way. So maybe saving it up for next year. I don't know. <laughs> if only they'd started the season like this. Yeah. Maybe we'd be talking about something completely different exactly. by this point of the year. Yeah. Uh, if we talk about the head of the midfield, where there are a couple of different and interesting strategies. Sergio Perez finished a really sensational seventh, considering he had to defend from Daniel Ricciardo. Another driver, for example, in Perez's case, who, who made a, a relatively early switch to the hard tyre. But to start from the Ricciardo angle, first of all, I was certainly surprised that he was the only midfield driver, the only driver with free tyre choice to opt for that hard compound. Perhaps yeah. that goes back to the fact not everyone used it in practice. But considering that tyre wear was thought to be such an issue, are you surprised no one else gave this one a go? Yeah, I am a bit. I thought that uh, some of the other teams would try it, certainly from further down you know, near the back of the order. And he was only just outside the top 10. So it was a, that was clever strategy by Renault. They split the strategies. They had, you know, that's the benefit of having two solid drivers in your team. And being able to say, okay, you know, we'll get the best we can out of this, but you two guys are going to do something different. And we know that you both can deliver and it'll, you know, it'll just have to work out for whichever one it works best. And I, I think that's intelligent uh, strategy from them. And it worked very effectively. It also guided some of the other teams, as we know. But but Renault deserved those points. There's no doubt about it. They They, they fought for them. They used the strategy well. And Daniel drove a very solid race. And Nico Hulkenberg would have finished directly behind him. We can talk a little bit about Kvyat in a moment, but I want to compare Hulkenberg to Perez just to underline, I suppose, despite the fact we talk about the hard dive being very effective on different cars. I mean, this is, of course, the case in every race, but there did seem to be a, a bit of a dramatic difference between how each car was getting the most out of its tyres. Sergio Perez's strategy, we could perhaps say, was perfectly judged. Lap 20 was his stop from the medium to the hard, made it to the end of the race with enough life to defend against Ricardo, who was ending on that faster medium tyre. Hulkenberg, though, switched on lap 18, so only a couple of laps earlier, and his tyres were so sufficiently finished in the end that you know, Kvyat, well, I guess we could say he got past him. It was not really a pass, but even Hulkenberg admitted afterwards that he understood why he had a go because the tyres were so finished on his car. Such fine margins decide this midfield battle. That's right, yeah. And it just shows you that there is still a cliff on the tyres. It's just that Lewis Hamilton didn't get there. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. It is fine margins. And that midfield battle is always so close. I mean, it's, it's great. It's so entertaining to see and who comes out on top in each race, I think, between them. And the, those subtle changes in strategy can make all the difference. Um, and, and the driving style. I mean, Nico Hulkenberg's always been a little bit harder on his tyres, uh, I would say, than than some of his teammates. Daniel Ricciardo's always been pretty good at looking after the tyres in his Red Bull days as well. So perhaps, you know, that was um, an interesting strategy by Renault. Uh, 
And it was unfortunate for Hülkenberg in the end. He still got the point for 10th place. So so they still did reasonably well and they can pick themselves up and move on. You know, it's been a bit of a tough time for Renault, hasn't it? Um, but mm. they, they needed a little boost. And I think that was one. Yeah, difficult week for Renault. Uh, some points to take home, I think, will be much welcomed. Yeah. Uh, it was an interesting Mexican Grand Prix. I look forward to next year to essentially talking about the same things because it seems like it's that every Mexican Grand Prix, the tyres will go bad. The altitude is very high. Uh, and no one quite knows how to deal with it. But that's what makes the Mexican Grand Prix quite exciting. It was a pleasure to talk to you about it, Ben. Thanks, Michael. Yeah, it's always a fun a fun race to commentate on as well. I, I enjoy it. That was Ben Edwards, F1 commentator for Channel 4. The Strategy Report is powered by Apex Race Manager, the mobile race management simulator. Play it for free on iOS and Android devices. If you want more Strategy Report, you can get every episode by subscribing on Google and Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and on your favourite podcast app, plus all of your socials. And if you like what you've heard, we'd love it if you could give us a rating and a review to help other F1 fans find the show. The Strategy Report is a beer mogul podcast, and if you're looking for an alternative take on the Mexican Grand Prix, have a search for Box of Neutrals in your podcast app of choice for a discussion about the elusive mascot Mario Archie. I've been Michael Aminato. Look me up at Michael Aminato on Twitter, and I'll catch you in just a week's time for an analysis of the United States Grand Prix.